winter. Hello and welcome to this, the first of several podcasts from here in the Isle of Mull. Thank you so much for having chosen to listen to this podcast out of the billions on offer. Really appreciate it. The aim of these podcasts is to share a little bit of information in the lives of some of the people who live and work here on the islands of Mull, Iona, and Alva and Gometra. It's always great to meet up with people from far away, but very often people ask us odd, repetitive questions about what's it like to live on an island and how, how do you survive living so far away from civilization? Well, we've all kind of got fed up with those things and I, I thought I'd like to find a way to address this. So I want to give uh, offer an insight into people's lives from here to people from elsewhere and even those that live here just to give a bit more perspective on your friends and neighbours' lives. Um, and yeah, just I think... What I wanted to do was locate us all in a kind of global perspective. Mull and Iona and Alva and Gometra are made up of a diverse range of people, many of whom had the most extraordinary lives, both here and across the world. And some of the people we'll talk to over the coming podcasts are native, are native Milks, others have come here from both near and far away. I'm Alistair Satchel, and I'll be your host throughout the following episodes. I work in theatre and film, and I'm based here in Mull, outside of Dervig in the north end of the island. I originally moved to Mull from Dunoon about 12 years ago and I've made my home here and started a family and built a house and uh, yeah, I, I love it here and I, I, I love living here but I work wherever the wind blows uh, and uh, yeah, this is home. I'm fascinated by our history and culture. I've learnt Gaelic through Salma Rostig's distance learning courses. Na Cursechen Intrigi is Urstish, so there may be the odd wee word or phrase of Gaelic here and there. If there's any longer sections in Gaelic, I'll put up translations on the website for you to have a look at later. I'll put any references and supporting materials up on the website too. Things like photos of the specific items that are mentioned or uh, pictures of the interviewee themselves as well. I want the podcast to all feel individual and different to each other, so I'm recording the interviewees in their homes or their workplace or spaces associated with them. I want to capture the acoustic environments of their their places, as well as the person themselves, so you can get a feeling of them in their space. I'm going to break the podcast up into chunks so it's not too much to listen to in one go. Every now and again I might drop in and out a little bit to add a bit more information here and there, um, such as uh, something the interviewee talks about, or more than likely to correct a mistake I've made, such as in this one where I talk about uh, the Gaelic poet Alistair McVeister, Alistair, but I call him Alistair McMeister Alistair, so I do apologise any Gaelic scholars listening at all. I've been inspired to make these podcasts by a number of sources. I've really enjoyed listening to podcasts by people who have something to explore around a subject, and I've particularly enjoyed listening to podcasts where people chat to each other in a relaxed and natural way, so what you hear from me won't really be traditional radio-style presenting, but more me yattering on with a participant. One of the particular influences I'd really like to mention is the work of Timothy Neat. Timothy Neat is a filmmaker, writer and art historian. The voice of the bard and when I was young, Islands and uh, Highlands, those books have had a massive impact on me. They capture elements of the lives of our cultural custodians that come off the page in a most engaging way. I'd like to thank the Island Bakery who have sponsored the podcast. Um, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. If you want to visit their website, you can see it on islandbakery.co.uk. They have a host of biscuits available, uh, all made here on Mull, organically as well. And uh, our particular favourite is the Lemon Melt. And they also do some fine gluten-free biscuits as well. So if you get a chance, try their biscuits. You can get them in any shop pretty much anywhere nowadays. Thank you. Anyway, that's enough waffle for me in this really rotten, windy day. I don't know if you can hear the rain battering down to the window outside my office. It's pretty grim today. 
I'm delighted to say that our first guest on the podcast is Duncan McGulp. Duncan was born in Tobermory in 1925. At the time of the recording, at the end of August in 2018, he was 92 years old. But now it's September, he's 93 years old. Duncan is a well-known uh, Gaelic singer and mod medalist, but also on Mull he's known here for many reasons, not least of which was the garage he ran in Tobermory for many years. Duncan will take us through tales of his time here as a boy, including one of the best spots for poaching salmon, the lives of his parents, his working life, his wartime service, and we'll touch on several other topics as well. At the end of the session, Duncan asks when we can meet up again, so I'm hoping to return in the coming weeks to catch up with him and hear more of his life and find out more about the characters of the island and times past. you, Shaw Duncan McGill. More and Tang. That's a very useful device. If you're standing beside a pool and a river and you want to go there fishing it. Really? Clap your hands and, and if there's a big fish in it, there'll be an arrow ahead. Really? You yes. don't need to shout at all. Nobody knows you're there except the fish. That's mm-hmm. very good. Down where we are, down at uh, Kyangkuen, at, the, yes. at the, the narrows there, yes. I quite frequently make echoing noises because I'm so fascinated yeah. by it. Yeah. The way the, it's... It's like the landscape is kind of ringing and talking, and I see you, right. the, um, the the there's one at the head of the na- the the locks, the Mishnish locks as well. I thought uh, there's an echo point at the top of Mishnish locks, and when it's frozen, it just pings. Me the end there is Derrick. Yeah, I, I frequently camped there. I lived with my mother before I was married, and she had two the children. Her daughter and another son. They were both were married. So for a fortnight in the summertime, my mother would go and spend a fortnight with one couple and then another fortnight. So for four weeks, the house was not used at all. So I just uh, locked the key, threw something to the cat and took my tent up to the far end of the Mistress Lost a wee pebble beach and a lovely grass ward. I used to camp there for a month. It's a fantastic spot. And go down to my work in the garage. He, at that time I was working for, for Dol Angelmall. Dol do, do you know of Dol Angelmall? His parents farmed yeah. Langemall and he was born and brought up in Langemall. Dol Angamal, you're a remarkable man. Tremendous brain for radio, radar, television. He was before anything else. And he ran the garage, and I learned an awful lot from him. We worked worked together for eight years. In Tobermory? In Tobermory, yes. I came home. My parents were getting older and frailer, and my father was very asthmatic. Mm So I wrote to Donald and asked if there was any chance of getting a job in the garage. And he wrote, come come as soon as you can. So I worked with Donald for eight years and we went fishing and poaching as well as the the garage work. Mm -hmm. Where were the best places to go poaching? Lingerie Burn. Really? What did you catch? Was it mostly trout or? Salmon. (laughs) Fantastic. No. There's a sea pool, which is not productive. There's a pool above that, which is 
and looking up upstream under the left-hand bank, there's a place that they lie. The biggest fish I ever saw in a river was there. It's not a big pool, but they decided to try and get this one. So my brother Donald, my older brother, was home on holiday, so I, I knew he would be interested, and he was. So I said, I'll get a snare from the garage. He out beside the house, and we'll go there tonight. So we went there, a huge fish. Didn't use a snare, but we thought we managed to do it with our hands. No chance. I'd been in the pool along with this fish in the afternoon, and when he moved, the pressure of my ears was just like thunder. And, yeah. and I, I, could, I had touched him several times. I couldn't hold him. He was away at the other end of the pool, looking at me, wondering what I was playing on. Was this two-leg thing? <laughs> yeah. So I went out down in the afternoon, in the evening of the games day, with, and I had a snare from the garage, and he said, have you done this before? I said, no, no, I've done it many ways, but never this. He said, you can make two snares out of that one, just split the, split the, the strands between two, and then we would each have a snare. So we did that. He broke them both. Blimey heck. Yeah. Do you have any idea what kind of weight he was? No, never, no, but I think it was about 12 pounds. He was huge. When he moved in the, in the pool, you could see that the arrowhead yeah. above him. He was, he was a big fish. I think he was about 12 pounds. But I, I never knew. Yeah. I never saw him out except when he was... Donald had him out of the water several times, but he, he escaped each time. That was in the games evening. I went back next day after work with one snare, put my hand in under the bank. There was a fish. I took it out, killed it, and another one. Eight pounds and four pounds. Just just from the just under the bank. The left hand bank looking upstream. Now that pool is very interesting because <coughs> there's the remains of a fence going across the middle of it. And there was always a dispute whether the pool belonged to Glengorham or Queenish. And he could never settle this. However, that didn't bother me at all. I got the two fish out of the same place under the bank. Eight pounds and four pounds. It's a lot of eating. It's very good. My uh, father-in-law, Bill, uh, he used to uh, guddle for trout in the burn, yes. uh, in the Bannockburn over in um, uh, Stirling, where we'd wrap yes. our from. Yes. And uh, he said he gave up when he was guddling one time and he got an eel. He went, yeah! No, I, I, I don't like eels, no. They're too much like serpents. Oh, they're horrible. Yes, they are. But in it, people in South England go crazy for pickled eels. And oh, yeah, oh, totally, yeah. Jelly eels and... Uh, no, and lampreys and things like that. No, thank you. No. So I brought them home, one down each trouser leg on the motorbike. <laughs> so they'd be smoked, smoked salmon <laughs> by the end of that. <laughs> so it was, uh, I could get the motorbike to the burn, but higher up, 
where the forest is road, road goes across the barn now. I can get a, a motorbike to there, so it wasn't hard to walk down beside it. And then they, the forest had planted it. And that was disaster because you had to fight your way through the trees. Aye. Mm -hmm. So thereafter, I went in by boat. <laughs> it's a lo lovely place, Loch Mingary. Aye. It's a lovely place, just, just, just beyond Arbor Point. Were there ever any uh, close calls with uh, being no, caught for poachers? No, no. I was, I was looking out well beforehand, and no. But uh, good fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when when were you born? Nineteen twenty-five. <laughs> on the eighteenth of September. Goodness me! Mm -hmm. So ah, that's that would be a birthday fairly soon then. Ninety-two. Ninety-two. I'm 92 now, old. If I see my birthday, I'll be 93. And Dochus mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, ach, that's phenomenal, gosh. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. So, you're, uh, were your parents from here as well? My father was from Derrick. He was born in the Belochroy Hotel. Really? Yes, his, his parents tenanted the hotel and Belochroy Farm. I've never heard tell of the no, Belcray Farm. Now, no. where's is that the the Mackay's field around there? Yes, that? and a hill, ah. uh, Kilmore Hill. Ah, and he was the his his father and and my father were both experts in the breeding of Highland cattle. And I came across a medal in a drawer, and I didn't know whose it had been or what it had been. And eventually I saw presented to Duncan McGulp, Belcroy Farm, 1903. <laughs> Gosh. So I gave it to Donald McGilvery. It was for a Highland bull, which he won at the Salon Show, Mullenborven Agricultural Society. So I gave the, the medal to Donald. And he got Charlie Hogg to make a a wooden block of very beautiful wood and mounted it in this block. So it was to be gifted, presented to, I don't know who received it, because it wasn't at the, the silent show this year. I'm not sure if it was Tom Nelson. Uh, I, he certainly shared something on Facebook about it, but I don't know if it was his own bull or not. I'm not sure if it was his bull. I'll try and find out for you. Yes. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, that, would me. Be, that would be just fine because... 115 years old? Because, pardon? 115 years old? Yeah, so it is. <laughs> and it was uh, tarnished, of course, but Donald polished it up and we, we could make out the, the imprint of the, the, uh, the history, history of it and the date and what it was for, for a Highland Bull, 1903. And so were your father's folks from here as well? Father. Uh, yeah, were they from Dervig as well? He was from Dervig. Mm -hmm. He was he was one of a family of six, and he was the only one that married. So we had no cousins at all. But I married Morag, and as I said, she was very annoyed when I said it, it was like marrying to the children of Israel. <laughs> she didn't think that was funny. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, 
grandfather was the, the farmer and the agriculturist, and he was factoring and managing several estates in the north end of Mullow. And my father carried on doing this. He was a bank manager in the Clydesdale Bank, but his heart was in agriculture and in breeding of Highland cattle. So he was known for his knowledge of Highland cattle, and he was in demand before the Highland show. Mingary used to have a lot of success in the Highland show, in the, wherever it was being held. <coughs> And he was always invited by the manager to go and have a look at their selection of exhibits for the show. And he he, the he advised them. And they, they had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. He was very good in blackface sheep also, and horses. He shouldn't have been a banker at all, but his mother was insistent that he would have a, an office job and have a collar and tie. But he wasn't, his heart wasn't in banking at all. And then his son, my oldest brother, he became a bank manager too in Stirling, in King Street branch, one of the better, one of the well-known branches of the Clydesdale. Granny Bellatroy ran the hotel a nice wee thing about her, when there was a special occasion, the dinner table was covered with white linen, and the only decoration that she would use was sprigs of staghorn moss on the white linen. This green moss with the wee sprigs. Do you know what it's like? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, it's sort of um, yeah, tenderly kind of. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. It, it grows very freely. On the shore of the loch, at the top of the start of it. Mm -hmm. And it used to grow at the, the Derby end of the Mishnish Loch. But I haven't seen it there for years now. But it used to grow in among the heather there at Carnanamish. That's an interesting name. Carnanamish, yeah, the cairn of the friendship or? Meeting. Of the meeting, ah. Carnanamish. Cairn, plural. Plural. There are four cairns in the bracken there. Beyond, uh, going to Derwick, beyond the Lost Cottage, which used to be occupied by uh, John MacDougall and his wife or sister, Kirsty. He was a shepherd in Langorum, and that's where they lived. And on the opposite side of the road from the cottage, you'll see there are walls. They had a croft there from which they took hay and potatoes and all the other essentials. I don't know why they left it. I suppose that they got, they probably got so old that they weren't able to fulfill the, the original function of shepherding and they would have to yeah. move. And the, the wee cottage just fell into disuse. When would they have left? Would that be the sort of 40s or 50s? or? Well, I came home from Glasgow to work with Don McLean in 1953. Mm -hmm. So it would be before then that they had left it, and it, was, it lay empty thereafter. 
Returning back to uh, your your folks, um, Moira, your daughter mentioned uh, a little bit about the journey that your your mum had been on. Uh, am I right in thinking that she'd, she'd come here as a young child, is that right? Yes. Where was your mum from? Campbelltown. Campbelltown. Goodness me. And her father was Greek. Mm-hmm. Pure Greek. She was half Greek. I'm a quarter Greek. And uh, her father went to sea as an engineer and he worked with the other engineers, of course, and the family of friendship built up. And when they, they were going on, on holiday or whatever, her father brought this young engineer home with him and this spark, they married. I, I don't know when I could work it out. Anyway, they, they didn't last and didn't live very long. Mm-hmm. Father and mother died when she was four and six, so she was an, an orphan. That must have been incredibly difficult at that time. Yes, it was, but she was fortunate in that her auntie Margaret, who lived here, was married to the headmaster in the school, Levac. Ah, right, okay. He, he, was, uh, he was from the north, from Caithness, uh-huh. and he had this strange name, Levac, that the Gaelic-speaking people couldn't pronounce. Oh, right. No, it wasn't like anything they had heard before. So they, they brought her up to Tullamore, uh-huh. and another aunt had heard my mother singing, and thought that she was very musical. So her auntie Margaret took this up and they got the aunt in Campbellton to get a piano and sent it up and she was a wonderful pianist. She was a very gifted pianist. So, and she was a good singer too and father was a very good bass. Right. Yes, so there was music from both sides and all our brothers and sisters could sing or play something. Margaret played the piano Donald, my older brother, played a uh, mandolin, and latterly my younger brother Norman also played the mandolin. So we're a very musical family. What were the gatherings like? Do you were the were the kind of big family Kayleys and house Kayleys and? Well, there were there were, there were always uh, other musical people coming to the house uh, to join in, and, uh, and we, we always welcomed them. One of my favourite memories of this kind of thing, it's like from my own childhood, but certainly I know Ian Morrison and, and yes. uh, over at Irway, uh, Pinmore, uh, Mill and uh, Colin, his son, yes. have both talked about as um, young children sitting on the stairs listening to the Cayley going on down below. That's right. And the desire to be part of it, being too young to be part of it, but the, the feeling of belonging with yes, that. that's right. I think that's... That gives us so much of a sense of cultural belonging. This, yes, that's that, right. that wanting to join in, but not being allowed to join in, and then joining in. Joining and leading it. And leading it yes, as well yes. as the other thing. It's yes. it's quite something. It's, uh, Ian's very musical. Oh, he's blooming brilliant. <laughs> Never tell him that, though. Uh, how many? <laughs> what instruments do you play, Ian? Well, they want to know the ones that I play well or the ones that I play badly. <laughs> 
playing with Ian on the fiddle is one of the loveliest things because he's yeah. such a, a sensitive uh, accompanist. Yeah. He's just, um, I learned, I've learned so much yeah. from playing the fiddle here with, first of all, Callie yes. when he was on the box. Yes. See, playing with a, a bona fide master like Callie was just... It brings everyone up massively. He was I loved playing with him. But I also love playing with Ian because I just as much as I'll be carrying the melody, I'll be listening to what he's yes. playing in the bass or, or whatever and it's just it's magic and that's Great. it's when Great. it it works. Harley was a wonderful one. I liked Callie a lot. Hi. He was a rogue. <laughs> he was yes. great. Yeah. Do, do you know his tune Lonely Ben Moore? Yes. I think we played it with the fiddlers one time. Yeah. It's a beautiful tune. I think it's maybe the best that he wrote. He wrote a lot of very fine tunes. I like his marches. I think they're quite yes. good. Yes. I like the slow air, I suppose. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a soul in slow airs that you don't find in marches that is unreal. Mm-hmm. There's something, I would say there's something more of of the West Coast character in that. There's a sort of sense of longing and... Uh... I, I, the first time I heard uh, he, he played Lonely Bear Moore to me, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, it was just so lonely. He was painting in Bernesen, and every, he was travelling to and fro, and every day as he passed the head of the Loch Sreetan, he was looking at Ben Moore, standing there on its own, lonely Ben Moore. What was it like growing up here? What was what, what did you do for fun? I worked. From an early age? Yes. I worked on a pier as a boy in school with the stevedores. And I got ten shillings a week. I was the youngest person on my brain's payroll. <laughs> and I worked with my gochen. Really? Ah, over the other side? Was he over that way? No, no. He was at the Tobermory Pier? He was just next door. Right. And I spent a lot of time with him. What was McGoughan like? He was a very kind man. He was very small. Immensely strong. Unique in many ways. He was in the First World War at the age of 16. He was at the Dardanelles. Oh, God. Yes, survived. Blooming egg. His brother, Johnny, who was known as McGregor, he finished up with ponies on Iona. But McGoughan was my favourite. I knew him very well. There's an old lady, Lola Bell. She was 92. She was 102. Last Wednesday. Goodness me. And she and McGoughan were very friendly, just friendly. Mm-hmm. And they both sort of nurtured me as a young child and they called me Wee Duncan. So when I write a wee birthday card to us, they love from Wee Duncan. They both called me Wee Duncan. Me. McGoughan's language was 
very colourful. So much so that the chief engineer on the mill boat, a Mr Chalmers, took my father to task for allowing me to spend so much time in the company of this foul-mouthed man, Andy. He'll, your, your boy learned a lot of bad language. Oh, my father, he learned that, wherever he is. That's, there's no, no scarcity of that. But he learned things from McGoughlin that he wouldn't learn from anybody else. He was an expert horseman, shepherd, crackpot with a rifle. Really? Yes, and a boatman. Very talented man. When Commander Cotton bought the island of Calve, he left it in the care of his wife to be advised by McGoughlin, whose name was Alistair McFarlane. She was a lovely person. She, she was killed in a road accident. And her daughter was also killed in the same road accident. And her mother was driving the car, and they were both on the same side of the car, both killed. I was going to ask about McGoughan. Did McGoughan speak Gaelic and English? Yes, he did. But my father always said, if you're going to learn to speak Gaelic, don't, don't, don't use McGoughan's Gaelic. Because it's not grammatical at all. <laughs> but he could make himself understood. Yeah. No, that's, I think there's a, that's been always of interest to me, that sense of uh, someone's Gaelic being against someone else's Gaelic. Yeah, that's right, yes. My, um, my, so my folks are from Collinsius, you know, yes. and uh, my uncle, uh, my dad's cousin, Neil Brown, uh, went to school in uh, Oban. I see. From Collinsy. And his uh, teacher was always picking on him for uh, saying, you know, you've got Tinker's Gaelic. Yes. And he had the, he really hated this. It yes. just really got to him because that was his language, that was his culture. And so eventually he said to him, but sir, was not the the Bible first translated into Argyllshire or Gaelic? Mm-hmm. And this Lewisman said, aye, well, very good then. And that was that was the end of that. Yes, yes. No, there are people like that that shouldn't have been allowed to teach children. Yes. Because he just discouraged them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because that sort of stuff is fascinating. That's one of the reasons I love Gaelic so much, is that the words in Gaelic are so connected yes. to the, the, the land that, the, that it's rooted. And I love the idea that every word obviously is made of the alphabet, but there's a tree for each letter. That's right. That's so strange. That, so that each word is, has roots in yes. the ground and comes from... It's just yes. mm-hmm. it's an organic, beautiful thing. But yep. were, were you brought up speaking Gaelic yourself as well? No. Right. My mother had none. Right. Father was uh, very fluent, mm-hmm. could read and write, which was unusual. Mm-hmm. And he was a JP and he was he'd occasionally called to speak for the plaintiffs in the court because he was bilingual. Yeah. But mother wasn't, and she didn't like Gaelic, so he didn't insist on the family being taught it, nor did he insist on speaking it himself. But the or to her, but but she didn't like the language. But she was a very good accompanist, and she seemed to understand the mood of Gaelic songs, and her accompaniments. He mirrored this, so I don't know how she did that without uh, actually understanding the words. Getting the soul of it, maybe getting yes, something it. like that. Mm. Let's talk then about a bit about your work because um, do you want any water or anything at all? No. Um, 
you said you started off on uh, the pier as a st- working with the stevedores, and uh, you also said you mentioned something about uh, Bowmans. What what and going to Glasgow as well. What did you what did you do in Glasgow, and how did you come in to be involved with the Bowmans? When I came out of the army, that was a an important part of my life because I was in the commandos, not not the marine commandos. Aye. Then the original commandos. Did you train at Spain Bridge? I was. Blimey, heck, ah, I didn't know that. Ahnakari. Wow, what was that experience like? That must have left oh, an incredible. That, that was great. Yeah. Oh, adventure. Yeah. And it was. I wasn't seeing it into the use of of all this training but i enjoyed the training it was great who would um were there any people in there uh in the commanders with you that, have, uh, that would know their names at all or yes vernon gunner he was a he was a great guy and jack dorney was straight from london and we paired off straight away he was hard hard man Mm-hmm. That was that's right. I, I joined the army on the first of on the fourth of November, nineteen forty-three, and I joined the commandos on the fourth of November, nineteen forty-four, and I was demobbed from the army on the fourth of November, nineteen forty-seven. Quite remarkable. Gosh. Mm-hmm. So, did you uh, go abroad with the work at all? Yes. Whereabouts were you? If it's if it's, if you don't want to talk about this, I totally understand as well. Just touch on it. France, Belgium, Holland, Germany, right up to the Kiel Canal, right right through Germany, right up to the Kiel Canal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, the the war settled out. And I was posted to Italy. That was like a holiday. That sure. was great. Tri- Trieste, Padua, Venice. Oh my goodness! I couldn't have asked for anything more. What was what was Padua like? Because that was a university town, wasn't yes, it? Yes. Oh, very much so. What was Padua like at the end of the war? Yeah. Well, it was. They were all very glad to, to have us because the war was over by then. And it, the, the enmity and the hostility was forgotten, and we were all, all helping one another. What was the? It was like a holiday, really, and everybody was friendly. Because that's something we don't talk about very much. But what was the transition period between the two like? Was there was it a fairly swift transition, no, or was there a... quite gradual? But individually, you had to choose. You had to choose to, to maintain the hostility. Or get on with your next door neighbour. Jack Dorney was a hard man. He'd been a bus driver in London. He was a great guy. We had quite a lot of uh, water water experience in Loch Lochy. He was jumping out of the landing craft and swimming ashore, but I couldn't swim. So don't don't worry, don't worry, Mark. I'll be I'll be watching for you, and he was, mm-hmm. and co- crossing the the river Orchi, the the river Lochy, the river Lochy, just above the Loch, quite near Achnacarry. I said, 
on a single rope. I said, if I come off, I can't swim, Jack. It's all right, Mark. I'll be right in the next rope. If you fall in, I'll be in. I'll just come in beside you. He's a, he's a great guy. And uh, tough as nails. And then the uh, Vern Gunner dispatch rider, he's a very fine job. You were demobbed with the army in 47, was it, you said? Yes. Where, where did you go from there? I came home to get my bearings again and decided to go for engineering. Up to that point, I'd been very interested in all forms of farming. And my father was very disappointed when I didn't follow this up. And that was his great passion in life. Yes, it was. But I wanted to be an engineer, so I went. I, or he wrote on my behalf to the Albion Works in Glasgow and they agreed to give me an apprenticeship at, at my advanced age because apprentices were usually 16, 17. So you were, what, 22, yeah. 23? 23 or four. Mm-hmm. So uh, that worked out all right. There was a bit of uh, opposition from the... Uh, unions about this uh, ex-holder being allowed to start his apprenticeship, but, but it was all uh, smoothed over and I served my apprenticeship in the Albion Works in Glasgow. What did the Albion Works make? Albion lorries. Ah, right, okay. Commercial vehicles. Right. <laughs> and they were good. Yeah. Yes. They were taken over by Leyland, but by, by, by that time they had made their own remita- reputation. So I came home when I knew I was going to have to leave the Albion Works. The father was really seriously ill and mother was getting older. All my siblings were married or committed in other ways, so I decided it was up to me to get home and help them out. So I wrote to Donald McLean and said that I completed my apprenticeship in Albion Works, Glasgow, and I was looking for an engineering job. Had a room for me in the garage. Reply came back, come as soon as you can, I need you. So I came back and he worked with Donald very happily for eight years. And by that time I, I decided I would have to make a move. So I moved to a the bus operator here, Mr. Cow, C-U-W-E. Yes. Alec Cow, great big man with a huge heart, very kind. So I worked with him for four years, I think. Engineering or driving? Engineering. Well, Jimmy Heron wrecked a, a very good lorry, and it was all out of alignment. So I decided it was too good to scrap this. If uh, he would give me another job where I would be able to concentrate on stripping this lorry completely and rebuilding it. And I did that. And uh, even to the extent of dismembering the chassis, everything, the cab, the whole thing and rebuilt it and uh, there was a 
inspector of commercial vehicles. Can't remember his name now. I should know it. Isn't what? He said, "Are you going to rebuild this?" I said, "Yes." Right, he said. It's got to be certified, and I'll I'll go along with you. I think I think you can do it, but I want this chassis reassembled by the Bamber Engineering Company in Glasgow. If you send it to them, I'll have no hesitation in passing it for you. And that's the that's what happened. It was separate bits, even the two long things, and not the cross pieces. And the carb, which was cabinet made, carpenter made. So I rebuilt that. You did the woodwork as well? Pardon? You did the woodwork the as woodwork well? woodwork as well, yeah. Goodness me. Oh, it's just a different material. The stresses are all natural. Yes, I will talk more about your work with Wooden Homer or two as well. So it worked out all right. So it was a good, good, it was an Albion too. It was a good old truck and it did a lot of work. From working with the cows to then, when did you come to the garage here? When? I can't remember a date, but I came home in 1953 and I worked with Donald McLean for eight years. And then I went to Alicow, and from there I went, uh, I retired from there and started the garage because there wasn't a garage in Tobermory. The nearest garage was Alistair Kennedy in Salem. Was that Ronnie's dad? Ronnie's dad. Oh, I didn't know that, right. What a character. Oh, he was a real character. So was Ronnie, but he's much quieter. Ronnie's a gentleman. Yes, I. <laughs> uh, Alistair was an interesting character too. He, he was a chauffeur to among Collingridge, who owned Tenga. And Tenga was a, quite a big estate at that time, before the forestry got its hands on it. But the Collingridge had some big position in the city, because every new year, we got a cheese, a Stilton cheese. Fantastic. Yeah. And we discovered that the Palmer's Water Biscuits and Stilton cheese were a great the very <laughs> So we got this cheese every new year and my mother would order up a lot of Car's Water Biscuits or whatever. Garage been was that in in town or was it where was that? Who the, the, the was it Donald Langemol that had the uh, yes. Where the uh, Duncan Cartner has his outfitter shop. Okay. That it was it had been a, a fisherman's store, and he before I came had dug out a pit and had planks across so we could get underneath. And that was quite a problem because there was the tide on one side of you. I was going to say, it's quite damp there as well, yeah. And the river on the other side of you. 
I would go down into the pit yard to take a bucket with you. To be like those. Uh, oily, nasty. No, no, it was quite clean. Oh, I had to bail out the pit before you went down. And then you could take the planks down with you and build them up as the, as the tide came in. <laughs> that, that was rough work. And then working outside, I couldn't get the word cooperate with that every Wednesday for the whole day and different ones. Every day, and we uh, just had to work at the outside, so it's all very wet, very open, open here. Oh, totally. And so, did you build the structure that that's that's there now for the garage? No. John O'Hare had a cafe, and he was a very clever businessman, and saw very far ahead. He decided that this wee garage of Donald McLean's wasn't adequate. And when I moved to a lane behind Falcher, mm -hmm. just to go up at the clock, mm -hmm. uh, I moved to a, a wee a garage there, which is now converted and has been used by Eleanor and her husband for the manufacture of glass. Mm -hmm. When did you move over to Lechik? Well, the, the premises behind Falzer were very restricted and the, the access was very difficult. For, <laughs> for more than one car? I, for, yes, and for, and for the big vehicles and some of the lorries were becoming quite big. So we decided to have to move. So uh, by that time John O'Hare had sold his garage to a man who had the bakery. He was an engineer, but he and his wife ran it. And uh, I said I would like to buy it. Well, they said, make an offer. So I made an offer and uh, he got the, the basic garage. It didn't, it didn't have any more height than it has, but it was the, the total area was the same. And, uh, I employed Alec Matheson, mm -hmm. Ian Morrison, mm -hmm. both gone now. There was someone else, George McDermott, that's right. I had good relationship with all my employees. <laughs> and at what point in your life did you meet Morig? I've got to go back to school now. <laughs> okay. Because Mora was a, one of a man's family of six. There were two sisters and four brothers on a farm on Ardenmarkham in a Hosnick. Do you know it? I've not been across for ages, I don't know. A Hosnick. It's just, you go down to Postur Kansana from there, but a Hosnick was the, the field of the sighing winds. Whoa. Pure, pure poetry. Oh. Is that the the area that's in the, the picture yeah, behind your head? Right. Yes, The oldest boy was Ian, uh -huh. and he couldn't uh, he couldn't get higher education on Ardnamurkhan, and they couldn't afford to send him to Oban, so they sent him over here to live with his uncle, who was the lightkeeper on Drumigawa. Oh wow! Yes. So uh, Uncle Dougal was like up there and, and Ian had 
he had twin sons and a daughter. And I don't know how he managed it, but he agreed to take Ian as well. He had no wife. And uh, the four of them lived in the, their cottages down there. Morig and her twin brothers and her uncle. And uh, I got to know Ian very well. We just sort of chilled straight away. Yeah. And they were both of the same mind. Unfortunately, I should have concentrated on garlic with him. Because mm. he had a lot of garlic. And, and he was quite... At that time, he garlic wasn't very encouraged. Oh, it was in, in abeyance, yeah. It wasn't encouraged no. at all. Anyway, Ian came here and we paired off and remained good friends for the rest of our lives. So when, uh, after we had sized one another up and liked one another, and got into quite a few adventures, uh, Ian phoned us, wrote to his mother, and, or in, he phoned her every week, could he bring this friend on holiday? So, I went over to a house and met uh, all the family, including Ailey and Morag, who was the eldest of the family. And he just we kept in touch, not in a very amorous way to be, to begin with, but uh, latterly it was. Uh, and the result is that Angus, whom we lost in the road accident, and where uh, Angus was alive. Fine young man. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's why Paul Grant has named his boat Angus. I didn't know that, that's mm. wonderful. Mm. It's one of the few boats that's got a, a masculine name. Although there was a yacht in here, I made a point to find out on Christopher. I wonder where that came from. I don't know. But the week before, there was a cruise ship in called Columbus. Oh. And there was no connection. Was there no. any uh, cholera in the no. town afterwards at all? <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> but I, I found out the name of Christopher because she had such tall masts. You know what I mean by spreader? Mm -hmm. Yes. She had five spreaders on the main mast and four spreaders on the mizzen mast. I've never seen masts so, so tall and then with the Bermuda rig. So that's the Columbus. Lord Nelson went past the other day. I was standing at home watching yes, him. And, that's uh, what I thought. Yes. absolutely stunning. Yes, great. I do, one of the things I love about that is that from ours, you stand looking out towards rum and muck yes, in the Atlantic. Yes. And seeing a sailboat like that yes. is exactly what someone, you know, 100, 150, 200 yes. years ago would have seen coming as well. Yes. I just love the sort of timeless nature. Yes. That is mm -hmm. a thing of beauty. Mm -hmm. That's great. Aye. So when did you get married? What what, uh, what what period was that? Wasted a lot of time. We should have got married far earlier. But we didn't. However, it worked out very well. We had two lovely children. Yes and two lovely grandchildren yes. and married into a big family. There were six of them all together, the Macmillans.
couldn't speak garlic, but I liked the music. And Maureen was fluent. Her garlic is beautiful. She helped me greatly. Yeah. And Janet MacDonald was very helpful. I had never sung a garlic song. I didn't know until in Wolok. Couldn't sing it in garlic. I knew the English version. Maud was coming to Auburn, and uh, Janet said to me, it's a great pity that we can't do something for the Maud when it's so near home. So if we started a choir, would you conduct, and I'll be responsible for that garlic, or I forget who said what to whom, but uh, that's how it started. And then I got very interested in the garlic songs and they became persuaded to enter for the gold medal, the silver medal. Because by that time I was learning, I was studying garlic and trying to learn it. There was a family from Glasgow who had been brought up in Dervik, the Macmillan's sister. There was, there was a family of six, and three of them had, had won the gold medal. So they were very keen that I would go ahead. And Helen T., the eldest of them, Helen Taylor Macmillan Taylor, was my granny's maiden name in the Bellaroy. And oh. the two mothers were very friendly. Right, okay. So, so the, Mrs. Macmillan asked uh, my granny if you could use her name Taylor for this first daughter. I didn't know if it, if it was a daughter, and it was, and as Helen T., marvellous singer. And she had a very husky voice when she was speaking, but when she was singing, it was clear as a bell. She was, she was a character, they all were all characters. Mm-hmm. I was singing at that Cayley and Derwig and I sang Far and Room in Rare and uh, afterwards uh, Cayley another sister, Anna Anne, well I said oh I enjoyed Far and Room in Rare she said I sang it at a Cayley in this hall the night before we left to go to Glasgow and I was going back to my seat and I bought the cleaned out and said, Catch and row and rear, Anna. I was a she said, but I wasn't going to tell her. <laughs> you, you come to delete that. <laughs> That's lovely. But it was uh, it was very interesting. Far and row and rear, catch and row and rear. Different. Yeah. Approach altogether. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Aye. And then the mod came to Auburn and we went with the choir. And Janet had been in charge of music and I, I was garlic and I was in charge of music. And blew me, we got a first and a third. First for music and a third for garlic or the other way around. Dr. Jones. Uh, from Salon Doctor, American. Oh, he ended up in Salon, uh, in Ulva? Yes. Aye, Ted. Ted. 
and uh, he said, we can't let this fall away. We must keep together and carry on making music, singing garlic songs. So we did. But it was he, he who decided not to. We had a dinner in the Isle of Molotel, and they said, this, we can't, can't let the fizzle out. So we're all, all ready to go, and uh, we'll get ready for the next mod. I forget where it was, but we did quite well in it too. I've got a whole shelf full of Gaelic scholarly books, you know, the, the Gaelic Folio Society. Um, my idea is when I'm older, I'll go through them and try and understand even more. I'm particularly interested in Alistair McMeister Alistair. Yes. Because uh, there's something, I find his poetry, his songs, more accessible than Sorley MacLean. There's an immediacy to it. It's Sorley MacLean, it's about the, the, the singing and the, the presentation of it like that. And the, oh, I didn't... You know, Sorley MacLean taught here. How did you get on with him? I didn't get on with him at all. He never mentioned Gaelic to me. He would come to the house and talk to my father in Gaelic, ignore my mother, ignore the family, and he was teaching me in school, supposed to be teaching me Latin. And eventually he said, this is not doing you any good, and it's not doing me any good. We'll just give you a free period. Instead of saying, Let's do some Gaelic. Gaelic. And he was a Gaelic teacher. Mm. So I've never forgiven him for that. No, I can understand no, that. No, no. It, it was a golden opportunity. Mm. And he was a scholar. He could have taught me to read and write and, and speak it properly. But he didn't do anything at all for me. Just very quickly, if it's okay to talk about your, your fiddle making, how did you come to, as a fiddle player, how, how did you learn the fiddle and then how did you come to make your, your fiddles? Well, my father played the fiddle. As well as being a very good bass singer, he played the fiddle well. And some relative of his, a Hugh McGilp, was renowned for his fiddle playing. Now, I just heard of this quite recently. But my father, he was very keen, if, uh, if I showed any aptitude for the fiddle, to teach me. And uh, he showed me how to pick pick the, the notes with the, just without a bow and he went to Glasgow and I brought back a wee fiddle for me and I loved it and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, playing his wee fiddle and eventually he bought my full size and then I went to Auburn school took a fiddle with me went from there to the army and left my fiddle in Auburn so I never saw it again. <laughs> Don't know what happened. Oh, that's rubbish. Yeah. Anyway, I decided to make one. Moira's got it. I gave it to Moira. He, I, was, I sold them all except that one and my own. I didn't uh, sell Moira's. And she played it quite well. And what... Um what was what was it like? What is it like to be there at the birth of a fiddle to kind of bring it into? Because it's such an intimate relationship you have with it as a. That's right. You know, it's a. Yes. It's not you. You don't play from the no. brain. You play from somewhere kind yes. of down here. Yes. <laughs> How? What is it like making shaping that? It's, well, the shaping is just all mechanical. Really. But, but playing it is a spiritual experience. Really. When you reach that stage of making a tune with this bit of wood, or these bits of wood, 52 of them, 
I think there are 52 bits of wood in it altogether. Well, I, I won't take up any more of your time. That's been an hour and ten minutes, which has just been an absolute honour and a delight. Well, Thank you so much. We haven't covered very much of it yet. Well, if it's all right, I'll come back another day. Yes, that'll be fine. Well, thank you very much for having listened to the podcast all the way through, and thank you again to Duncan. It was an absolute delight to spend time with Duncan. And his wife, Morig, appeared um, later on in the, the recording as well. It was lovely to see her and uh, Moira, their daughter, and Daisy to be Doug as well, who was great. Um, so a uh, couple of things we talked about in the podcast that are maybe worth mentioning. Um, I talked about... Uh, Alistair McVeister Alistair um, and there's a fantastic book if you can find it called Alexander MacDonald Bard of the Gallic Enlightenment and it's by Camille Dresler and D.W. Stewart uh, it's extraordinary it's a really really good book um, it's published by the Islands Book Trust and um, it's really it's a really great resource on uh, Alistair McVeister Alistair's um, work and life really really worth checking out the other books I mentioned again at the start were uh, Timothy Neat's When I Was Young series so there's two in the series there was When I Was Young The Islands and then there's When I Was Young The Highlands and East Coast both of which are published by Beerling um, yeah so this is the first of the podcasts that I've recorded and I've got five recordings uh, done so far and uh, I'm looking to talk to more people. I've got a database of dozens and dozens of people to talk to from all over the islands. Um, and I'm keen to explore beyond uh, Mull, Iona, Ulva, Gometra. I'd like to get out um, all across the islands and west coast of Scotland if possible at all. Maybe even venture out into the east coast one day or even Shetland or Orkney. Who knows? Um, but I'd just like, like to find time to to uh, allow people to to hear other people's stories. Now, um, the podcast has been uh, sponsored by uh, the Island Bakery, as I said, for whom thank you very much. And again, I recommend Lemon Melts. But uh, the the, the sponsorship uh, has paid for uh, hosting on the web, which is brilliant. But the amount of time it takes to edit one of these podcasts is quite a significant amount of time. So if you felt like donating, you're more than welcome to do so. You can visit the um, uh, What We Do in the Winter webpage. You'll find it on WordPress, whatwedointhewinter.wordpress.com and have a look there and there's a donate link there. If you wanted to donate the price of a cup of coffee, wherever you are, um, you're more than welcome to do so. I would really appreciate that. It takes several hours to edit these down. <laughs> Um, but if you can't donate anything at all, don't worry. I'd much rather you just listen and enjoy it. Over the coming weeks, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, interviews with a diverse range of people with you. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to speaking to you again. And if you want anything, drop me a line, uh, what we do in the winter at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. There's also the website, what we do in the winter.wordpress.com. And I'd like to thank. Uh, Moira for helping uh, arrange all of this uh, earlier on with uh, Duncan and I'd like to thank Georgia, my wife for all of her time and expertise and I'd like to thank the early listeners as well for their words of advice so thank you um, Colin and crew many thank yous see you all again, cheers, bye bye (laughs) 